0: everyone and welcome to morning worship on this glorious Sunday morning and as always a special welcome to family and friends joining us from all across the country and around the world. As you know uh, our own Minister Katrina is on leave uh, so we're really delighted that one of our own members the Reverend Dr Ian Birch is leading our worship this morning. Thank you again Ian at what I know uh, has been the end of a very uh, long week and busy week for you so thank you. As well as Ian we'll also hear the voices of Holly, Talash and Ken and of course we'll hear music from Paul and the choir. In a moment or two Benjamin and Bardia and their family will be lighting our candle and we're invited to light a candle of our own if we'd like to do that. Then at 7pm, our joint evening service will be led by the Reverend Dr. Carolyn Kelly, chaplain to the University of Glasgow. Carolyn's coming to the end of her first year in post and a very strange year it must have been for her coming to Glasgow, not knowing Glasgow at all, and finding herself uh, really with very little access to students directly. So we're looking forward to what Carolyn has to tell us this evening at 7pm. Then next Sunday morning, our worship will be led by the Reverend Emma Walsh, who's joining us from Australia, I hope. And in the evening, Helen Stimson will lead our evening worship. But now it's over to Benjamin and Bardia to light our candle.
1: As we
2: gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our
1: way. May we glimpse
3: Christ light this day. Oh, well, good morning, everybody, uh, and it is a real privilege this morning to to lead our worship. Let me begin with some words um, taken from the Old Testament as our as our call to worship uh, on what is Trinity Sunday, and uh, there's there's a beautiful text in the Book of Isaiah which speaks about Isaiah's vision of God in the temple which may inspire us as we as we gather together this morning in the year that king Uzziah died I saw the Lord he was sitting on his throne high and exalted and his robe filled the whole temple around him flaming creatures were standing each of which had six wings each creature covered its face with two wings and its body with two, and used the other two for flying. They were calling out to each other, Holy, 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 the Lord Almighty is holy. His glory fills the world. The sound of their voices made the foundation of the temple shake, and the temple itself became filled with smoke. I said, there is no hope for me. I am doomed because every word that passes my lips is sinful and I live among a people whose every word is sinful. And yet with my own eyes, I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the creatures flew down to me, carrying a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongues. He touched my lips with the burning coal and said, This has touched your lips, and now your guilt is gone, and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord say, whom shall I send? Who will be our messenger? And I answered, I will go, send me. And isn't it uh, an inspiring thought that the God who fills the temple is the same God who fills our lives with his spirit and the God who unites us in faith and hope and love as we gather this morning uh, to worship him. we sí. Well, the idea that everyone belongs is going to be a a big theme in our service uh, this morning. So let's uh, gather together in prayer. Let us pray. Loving God, we come to you this morning as your children, a family of your people, dispersed through circumstances, but made one in Jesus, knowing that your love unites us as friends and companions on the journey of life. We bring to you this morning who and what we are with no pretense. For you see into the very depths of our lives and into our being. And you love us just as we are. Lord, we thank you for our friends and our families. Those we love and those who love us. Who make our lives so rich and strong in so many ways. And yet, we also recognize that sometimes living as family can can have its struggles. And so, we pray that you will forgive us when we are unkind and unthoughtful to those who are nearest to us. As we look back over the past week, we know there have been moments of joy and, and happiness in our lives. We also recognize that there have been things that have challenged us and tested us. There have been experiences where We have had the opportunity to serve you and to show your love to others. And there are times when we have failed. And so, Lord, in all of these things and at all times, we recognise that you are faithful in watching over us and caring for us. And we pray that you would strengthen us each day in order to, to be your servants. Creator God, on this beautiful day, we thank you for the world around us. Thank you for the sea and the earth and the sky. Each level of this world teeming with life and energy and beauty and order. Because it so often inspires us and causes us to be in awe of the God who makes and sustains all things. And so again, we are sorry for the way in which we also spoil and damage the earth and forget that it is a gift entrusted to us. Help us to live as good stewards of your world in harmony with your wisdom and your kingdom purposes. Triune, triune God, we know that you came to us in Jesus. And that He reveals to us the heart of the Father and breathes into us the life of the Spirit. Help us to see more clearly what it means to follow Jesus, to see others through his eyes, and to share his compassion for those who are in need, to be indignant with an injustice, and to be agents of his good news wherever we go, with whoever we meet. Strengthen us by your Spirit to follow in his steps. Lord God, you so love the world as you gave yourself in Jesus, so that all people in all places, in all circumstances might have the fullness of life that you intended. Help us to be a part of sharing that life. And so fill us with your light and your love, for we pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.
4: Isaiah 56 verses 1 to 8, thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Happy is the mortal who does this, the one who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and refrains from doing any evil. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants All who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it, and hold fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel. I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. John 14 verses 1 to 11. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I could prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have i been with you all this time philip and still you do not know me whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father do you not believe that i am in the father and the father is in me the words that i say to you i do not speak on my own but the father who dwells in me does his work believe that i am in the father and the father is in me but if you do not then believe me because of the works themselves
3: Thank you, thank you, Paul, for choosing that. Well, some of some of you know that um, Elizabeth and I moved just before Christmas last year uh, to Howwood or Howwood. Uh, I'm, I'm learning from the locals just to, to get the right pronunciation. I, I think it's it's sort of uh, this this Howwood. Uh, I haven't quite mastered the uh, the pronunciation yet, but I'm working on it. Anyway, we're out, out near Johnston uh, on the way to Loch Winnock. and. When we get a moment we have been wandering around the village up and down its hillside paths exploring the local area uh, trying to get to know this new place where we live well a few weeks past uh, i spotted a signpost to a gravel path that went between some houses that took me down from the the catholic church at the top of the hill uh, with its very fascinating outdoor grotto uh, to Our Lady of Fatima of Lochwinnock, uh, which is a really interesting name. If you ever get the chance to come out here and see it, it is really spectacular. Uh, the, this great statue outside of the outside of the church, uh, enclosed in a glass case. And if you don't know anything about Our Lady Fatima of Lochwinnock, I suggest you Google it. Anyway, I was up near the Catholic Church at the top of the hill and saw this uh, little pathway down through the houses, and uh, and wanting to explore something new, took this road. So cutting through, I passed by this large bungalow with a nameplate screwed to to the wall at the end of the drive. That immediately grabbed my attention because there is this great plaque which has in bold letters, the Father's house. Well, to somebody who spent a a few years uh, teaching at a theological college, you know, that that was um, just jumping out at me in like red lights, uh, the father's house and thought, wow, I wonder who lives there, why they chose that name that sounds so biblical. And so since then, I, I've been wandering up and, and down past this house quite regularly in order to see this nameplate and also to watch the progress of the extensive works that they're having done to their garden. But most of all, it reminds me of... John chapter 14, verse two, which um, Talash read for us a little earlier. Because this, without exaggeration and a word of a lie, because I'm not allowed uh, to do lies in the job that I do, Uh, but without a word of a lie, this is a text that has truly fascinated me for many, many years. In my father's house are many rooms. I have read these words on so many occasions at funerals And they speak words of comfort and hope that we have in Jesus to people in times of loss and sadness. And I don't want to diminish that in any way this morning, as I just reflect on this phrase. But the honest truth is, and I've just got to level with you on this, the honest truth is that I've never been sure that these words mean what we think they mean. And I'm not sure they're all about death and going to heaven. I've sensed that they have a deeper and uh, a broader significance than the way that we take them so often. Now I grew up in in a church uh, as a child that only ever read the authorised version. So we're going back many years of course but that was their style. We only read the authorised version and of course the translation of John 14 2 in the authorised version is In my father's house are many mansions, and I go there to prepare a place for you. And that's a really appealing idea, isn't it? For those of us who who have lived most of our lives in modest dwellings, but through the gracious provision of the National Trust of Scotland have visited one or two mansions. This is certainly something that we could look forward to. I often, uh, growing up, imagined the angels in heaven being fully employed with bricks and mortar, building residences of various sizes for the faithful departed, appropriate to their good works on earth. We kind of used to joke about those who would live in gold-plated palaces and those who would be living in tree houses or, you know, sort of wooden shacks, It was an interpretation of Jesus's words, of course, that worked well amongst the aspirational middle classes of Cheshire, where I grew up. But this idea of Jesus going away to prepare mansions for everybody so that we could live for eternity in luxury, I don't think comes remotely close to what he meant or what his disciples would have heard from him. So what might this text mean and this is only my my interpretation on this as i've been reflecting on it over the last wee while in john chapter 14 jesus is celebrating passover with his disciples and there is a somber mood in the room as jesus begins to act like a slave he shocks them by washing their feet and serving the food And there's tension in the air as he begins to speak to them about betrayal within the camp. That there is one amongst their company who has sold them out to the enemy and dark times are to come. And then he breaks the news to them that he's leaving them to go to a place that they cannot come. And when he is gone, they must care for one another, love one another, even as he has loved each of them. And Peter, sensing all of this brooding, dark, menacing mood in the air, promises that whatever happens, he will be with Jesus, even if he has to die with him. And then he is exposed as a fragile follower who actually will deny his master when the accusations start flying. So the disciples are worried. They are anxious. They are afraid. They don't know what is going to happen to them. And here Jesus speaks to reassure them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Trust in God. Trust in me. In my father's house are many rooms and I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, some of us uh, at the the Scottish Baptist College are involved in a reading group, uh, which is international and has people from all over the world engaged in this. And we're all reading the same book. And just a couple of weeks ago, my eyes nearly popped out of my head when we were reading a chapter uh, of the book that we're considering. And it was discussing the whole issue of family life in biblical times. And this is what I discovered. In Jewish society, in the times of Jesus, the strongest social unit that gave people a sense of belonging and gave people a sense of identity was, and still is for Jewish people today, the family. It was not the local community where they lived. They weren't defined by their village or their region, whether they grew up in Galilee or Judea or Samaria. They weren't defined absolutely in national terms, whether they were Jew or whether they were Gentile. Their strongest sense of identity and of belonging and where they fitted in was through their family connections. And because family identity was always defined for Jewish people through the male line of connection The family was described, and here's a wee bit of Hebrew for you all this morning. I'm not an expert, but I can read the odd word or two. The family was described as the Bet Arb, and the Bet Arb is nothing other than the father's house. And of course, this grabbed my attention as I was reading about family life in in ancient Jewish times, and thinking about the strongest sense of connection that anybody had to anybody else was through this idea of the father's house belonging to the father's house. And so I wanted to know more about this. In the times and in the world of Jesus, the Betarb, the father's house, didn't describe the family as we think about it, as a, as a kind of a nuclear family, which is mum and dad and 2.4 kids uh, who never seem to grow out of their need of their mum and dad and uh, the bank of mum and dad. Uh, Anyway, that's another story that I won't go into this morning. But the the bet or the father's house, that the family unit in Jesus's time was an extended multi-generational network of relatives and servants and slaves, all united under the oversight and the care of one living father the betarb or the father's house what it referred to was the head of the house plus the wife the sons and their wives and their children the grandchildren plus their wives and their children and also unmarried daughters married daughters went off to live with their husband's family The father's house, so it had all of this great network of family connections and also the slaves and the servants. So if you didn't like or didn't get on with your relatives, this would be a complete and total nightmare. I can only I can't even imagine what Prince Harry would have made of all of this situation. But there we are. So the father's house describes this this huge network of people who who all lived uh, in close relationship with one another. But the betarb, the father's house could also refer to the property that, um, that, that housed all of these people, which included the main house plus additional rooms, which were built on as the family grew and expanded or the family became more prosperous and had more slaves and servants. They would build on uh, new rooms and extensions. And isn't it interesting here, Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms and I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's it's as if he's thinking the father's house is something that can be added to and expanded. The father's house was not only a social unit where all of these people live together, but an economic setup in which every person had a role and a function. And so everyone was expected to contribute to the welfare of the father's house and the father's business. A son that wanted his share of the father's business and went off to a foreign land in order to squander it would have been a great scandal and a risk to the welfare of all in those days. The father's house was also a place where faith and traditions were passed on, where the family gathered together for meals and for social times, where stories would be told about the family and the tribe and the nation, And where the children would grow up learning what it was to belong to this network, this betarb, And they would learn about the God who brought them out of Egypt into the land of covenant promise and the God who had blessed his people. In the, the father's house, the family unit was profoundly interdependent and the welfare of each member was linked to the welfare of all. And as you begin to explore this, what this meant, this Bet Arb, the father's house, you can see how all of this would have meaning and resonance for the followers of Jesus as he spoke to them, in my father's house, in the Bet Arb, there is room for you and I am making space for you to belong. Jesus here speaking about going away to death and returning in resurrection was speaking about the way in which he was creating a new family, a new community, which was going to become, in the fullness of time, the church. When he spoke, spoke therefore about creating rooms for the disciples, he wasn't talking about mansions in glory. He was speaking about the way in which all of his followers would belong to one another, and would become a new family of his people committed to caring for each other. Now, this is a theme that is really strong in in John's gospel. The whole idea that followers of Jesus actually constitute a family of his people. In John chapter one and verse 12, John introduces the idea of becoming the children of God through believing in him, in Jesus. And in chapter three, of this gospel Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born from above having a new birth that meant that being born as a Jew didn't really matter much in terms of the kingdom of God what mattered was being born through the spirit being born from from God himself and so having a new identity which was about belonging to the Lord which was not reliant on natural birth and national identity Jesus was creating something new which he could bring people into and so here as Jesus spoke about the father's house he would be talking about the new community the church as an expanding and inclusive community That's why we read together those words from Isaiah 56. It was all spoken about through the prophets that God's plan was to draw in people from all of the nations, from all parts of the world into his family, into his people. The father's house has many rooms and more can be added as the disciples go out in mission from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Because the father of creation Has room in his household for every person who has ever lived. And the church is to embody this, being an inclusive and an embracing community. And again, if you read through John's gospel, you see how Jesus enacting this in his own ministry. When he went into Samaria to meet there a woman with all kinds of marital and and personal problems, and to say to her that she, could belong there was room in the father's house for her in John chapter 5 he meets a Roman centurion and reaches out to him saying in the father's house there is room for the enemy there is room for the oppressor the Roman centurion in John chapter 12 Greek speaking people come and want to meet with Jesus and the disciples seem hesitant about this but Jesus seems keen to include them The new family, the new community that Jesus is creating through his ministry and his life and death and resurrection is one that embraces all. And in the Father's house, every person has a place and a role and a function, which is a share in the kingdom of God. Every person has an opportunity to serve, which is as unique as the individual that they are. And the other thought that I had was that in the Father's house, we are nurtured as well. In the family of God, we are nurtured and taught the values and the concerns of the Father. That is part of the role of the church to to teach us about who God is and what God is about. The one who longs that justice should roll down like rivers and righteousness like a never ending stream. We learn what really matters to God and therefore What should matter to us in our lives? And children as well. Children are precious in this family as they are precious in the life of the church and are to be valued as equals as they take their part in the new community that God creates. And in the father's house as well, we care for one another, watch over one another, reach out to those who are in need. The father's house, the family of God is a place where people are taken care of when things are difficult. And we see that as the church begins to unfold in the in the book of Acts. And in Acts 4.32, we talk about people selling possessions and riches that they have in order to distribute to those who are in need. From each according to their ability to each according to their need. And so this this phrase, in my father's house, there are many rooms. It's a fascinating idea, isn't it? It's a fascinating word. And it's an incredible vision that Jesus puts before us of what the church, the family of God can be. Never mind that he might be speaking about a heavenly home. There is so much that Jesus wants wants us to be about and to do here on earth. Believing in Jesus is not just a ticket to heaven and to some future riches and glory. It's a new identity with a new network of relationships of people who are to love one another, care for one another, watch over each other. Isn't this a wonderful spiritual reality that we can be a member of God's household and extend that love and that care to others. And so I pray that um, today and on into the future, that God may help us to grasp this reality of what it means to belong to Jesus and to be a part of his household with ever deepening insight and ever deepening strength to live this out with one another in his church. Thank you for listening.
2: bring our prayers for others and for each other. Let us pray. Dear Lord and Father, grant that we may be conscious of your presence as we draw near to you today. Grant us forgiveness for our failures in these past days. Grant us strength for the tasks and duties, great and small, which we meet in our daily living. Grant us grace to persevere when we meet challenges to our health and well-being, Grant us the gift of your Holy Spirit to accompany us on the way. We come also with thankful hearts for all that has been good in our lives. Notwithstanding all the restrictions and deprivations of these present days, we give thanks for the concern of our relatives and friends, for the faithful commitment of those who continue to maintain all the services, that are vital to the upholding of civil society, for those who ensure our power supplies, our water and sewerage, and especially in these days, the broadband communications on which we rely. And we pray also for all those who continue to work in our shops, in hospitals, in schools and colleges, as well as the many millions who ensure the continuation of our industries on whom we all depend. Today, our prayer calendar prompts us to think, first of all, of these friends within our own church family. Liz and Douglas, Anne and Brian, Paul P. and Mary P., Leslie and Alistair, Grace and Will, Nancy, Lizzie and Petrie, Ian, Elizabeth and Joanna. And we also remember the Zoom Coffee Club, which regularly links up each Wednesday morning. Within the family of Baptist churches in Scotland, we are asked to pray today for Dunfermline West Baptist Church and Dunoon Baptist Church. We pray that they might be given encouragement in their work and witness in their own distinct areas. Casting our our thoughts wider, the BMS prayer guide for this coming week asks us to uphold in prayer the work of mission in Afghanistan. We pray for Catherine and Rory, Nathan and Rose, just now finishing their service after many years in that country, and for Mary, who continues to serve there. And we think of the continuing work in that land, shared with new international staff joining the team there. Returning to home, we would pray today for all our school pupils and college and university students who are approaching the end of their academic year. A year, perhaps like no previous year, when there has been huge disruption and realignment in the manner in which their education and training has been delivered, as well as much complexity and confusion over their exams and assessment. We pray for all who work in the world of education, for teachers and lecturers, researchers and administrators, and those who are responsible for the planning of strategy in a constantly changing world. Today, we would also give thanks for our Scottish Baptist College within the University of the West of Scotland. We pray for Ian and Linda, Lena and all the staff as they prepare their students for ministry, for chaplaincy and mission in our churches and beyond. Finally, today, we would bring our own private prayers to you in this time of worship. You know each one of us all together. You know our hearts, our fears, our doubts our faltering grasp on the faith. Draw near to each one of us as we pray today and fill our lives with awareness of your blessing, your comfort, and your peace. For we ask all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <music>
3: Sovereign Lord, send us out in the name of Christ and in the power of your spirit. We have worshipped, now help us to serve. We have spoken, now help us to act. We have heard your word, now help us to make it known. We have rejoiced in your love, now help us to share it with others. Use us to fulfil your will and bring closer your kingdom, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the peace of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.